0: You're listening to a River Life Fellowship message. We hope this message encourages you and enriches your life. For more information about us, visit us at riverlifefellowship.com. What I see in here, what I see happening in here is really worship. You know? What I see the Lord doing is we're we're really beginning to click on something that I believe is on His heart. And the reason I believe it's on God's heart is because We've been hearing the Lord say stuff about worship, the way we worship, the things that we're doing, and maybe some things we can do differently. And um, I was just encouraged this morning when I saw what God was doing and how different people were being used. And you know, in First Corinthians chapter 12, it says that now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom. Byron had some wisdom there. To, to another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. John Arnie, praying for people. You see what I'm getting at here is when we begin to come with something to give not only to the Lord, but also to each other, it goes upward and out. God can pour through us as vessels into other people. We're really going to begin to see, I believe, us entering into a new dimension of worship that we really, we've really been longing for. Raise your hand if you long for a new dimension of worship. Everybody wants to worship, right? And, and I've heard some people say, you know what, I really do want to worship and I want, really do want to get intimate with the Lord, but sometimes I just don't, you know, I just can't quite get there. And I feel like the Lord has given us a little bit of revelation on that, and that is because He wants us to make a little bit, some changes. And we're going to step through the door into something that He has for us. So I just want to encourage us with, it, encourage you with that. And um, I want to, well, on March the seventh, Byron gave a message entitled Seven Challenges of Worship." And on April the fourth, just two Sundays ago, Byron gave a message entitled "Recovering Lost Worshipers." So I wanted to take a few minutes and just take my stab at this thing called worship. Is that okay? Everybody hang with that? If you'd like to hear about worship, anybody interested in what God might want to say to you, let's pray. Father, we just thank You for this time that we can have to come into the very Holy of Holies that we can enter by the blood of the Lamb, Lord. We thank You for the price that You paid, Jesus, in rending the veil that we can enter into Your throne room. God, we just ask You right now that You would give us revelation and understanding into Your Word, Lord, and what You have to say about how to be a true worshiper in spirit and in truth. We bless You this morning, God. We thank You for Your presence here. And we thank You, Father, for Your pleasure in Your people. We thank You that Your blessings are upon us. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said... Okay, everybody's doing alright? Okay. Okay. Anybody need a drink of water? Elijah, did you get your coffee drunk while you were playing the drums? Okay. <laughs> All I got to say is, thank God Mom's coming home today. I was smart, though. I called in the grandparents for reinforcements. Yeah, I made it through Friday. and Yeah, you know, it was right there. It might not be the most spiritual thing, but, you know, there's something to be said about wisdom, you know. So uh, we've had a great weekend playing outside. And, um, have you ever been in a point, have you ever reached a place, maybe in your marriage, for example, where you realize that, you know what, God, there's an issue here that in order for it to be dealt with, there's something fundamentally about me and who I am that's going to have to change. Anybody ever been to that place? You don't have to raise your hand. but I think, Especially if you're married. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, Lord, you know, I've realized that I'm not really capable of loving my wife as Christ loved the church. You know what I'm saying? I'm not capable of doing that. I'm not going to talk about marriage this morning. But what the point that I want to make is, in order to be a true worshiper, something fundamentally about who we are has to change. We can't stay the way we are. We have to change because it's not in our nature. It's not in our sinful nature. It doesn't always feel like you know. We don't always feel like it. But God has a way that I want to point out to you this morning that we can enter into. I believe what's true worship as His Word indicates. Now, one of the passages that Byron used is uh, John four twenty three, and of course, in the fourth chapter of John. It's where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And, you know, they're going through their whole spiel there. And uh, at the very end of it, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come. Everybody say, now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And here's what I think one of the things the Scripture is saying among many, is there is something about our nature, as i said, that has to be fundamentally changed in order to be a true worshiper. Only by the Holy Spirit. Only through the person of Jesus who is the truth. Only then can we truly worship Him. Amen? Let me just quote uh, Byron here. From what he said just a couple of weeks ago, God has given mankind a thirst to worship. This isn't up here. Wait, don't put that up yet, Drew. (laughs) God has just listen to me. God has given mankind a thirst to worship. There is a song in all of our hearts. If we worship God in spirit and truth, the thirst in our souls will be satisfied. The song will find true expression. If our worship is based on what it does for us, guess what? We will never be satisfied. Remember, worship is to the soul what water is to the body. If our worship is based only on what it does for us, we will be like the woman at the well, always thirsty, but never satisfied. Always thirsty, but never satisfied. See, it's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about me. It's about His sheep getting ministered to. It's about His people getting healed. It's about His Word going forth. It's about His praise going out. That's what worship is. Now, here's what I wrote down. I just want to say this as a uh, disclaimer. I had a great time putting this message together. As you might could tell. Um, so I'm just going to believe God that He's going to speak something out this morning and I'm going to try to abbreviate it, okay? Alright. So here's, what, here's the challenge, okay? I believe that God wants to anoint us today to be true worshipers. I know that might be bold, but anybody want to believe for that, that He could anoint you to be a true worshiper, okay? I want to define what true worship is first of all and then ask God for His anointing. Sound good? Sound good? Alright, let's do it. Alright, Drew, put that up there. True worship. Here's what I felt like the Lord was showing me. is connecting with the heart of God and then getting in on what He is doing both in corporate worship with the church and in our individual lives of worship. Sometimes it will be fun and exuberating. On other occasions, it may be painful and hard. But either way, it will result in your transformation into the very likeness of Jesus. Isn't that what we're here for? Aren't you here to be like the Lord? Aren't you doing this for that reason? I sure hope so. Well, I want to look at this Scripture. It's in Isaiah 55. You don't have to turn there. I don't want to take that much time, but in Isaiah 55, there's a very familiar passage. And it says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. By the way, I got a report from my wife this morning. The women are having an awesome time. That verse illustrates what's going on with them right now. Sarah said, you know, the Lord is just near right now. So, amen. He's near here. Let him turn to the, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon. And God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Do you think this could be talk, do you think this could relate to worship at all? For my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now listen to this. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. It's talking about worship right there. The trees of the field are going to clap their hands. They're going to burst forth and sing all of God's creation. You know that verse that says, if you don't praise them, the rocks will cry out. I think the Lord is saying to us, could this also relate to worship? Is verse 12 here where it says, you'll be led forth in peace, the mountains and hills will sing out. Is it talking about worship? Do we need to get the Lord's thoughts on our worship? Are we just worshiping as our fathers did or as we're accustomed to? You see, I grew up, many of you did not, but I grew up in a church much like this. You know, this is normal to me. You know, all the band and jumping around and that kind of stuff. Many, Most people didn't come from a background like that unless you're Andy. But Andy and myself, you know, we were raised that way. And so I've often asked myself recently when I, I've been contemplating this, is Lord, you know, is what I'm doing in worship what You want me to do? Is it what You really have for us? Or are we just coming in here on Sunday mornings and doing things that we've always done or that we're accustomed to? Just something to think about. Now let's look at two different types of worship. (laughs) Let's let's go a little bit further and maybe we can answer that for ourselves. Um, I think yes and no is the answer to that. I know that's the chicken way out, but that's my answer, is yes and no. I think there's a lot of great quality things that the Lord has given us. At the same time, I think, obviously, the Lord's calling us on, and if we don't step forward, then we're missing it. Was that answered like a true politician? Yes and no. (laughs) Answering the question. Let's look at two different types of worship here. Okay, because... Here's where I want to clarify something about worship. When, when we throw out the term worship, what comes to mind? Okay, if you're like me, I think music. I think singing, dancing, we worship. worship music, you know, is real popular. But is that all that worship is? No, I think the Bible clearly tells us, as I showed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is that worship is a lot more than just singing. Okay, So if we're focused on what Andy's doing up here to be it, you know, we're missing something. Does everybody agree with that? Okay, so that's why I was saying I was excited to see what else the Lord was doing this morning. And I want to look at two passages that kind of, uh, I never really fit together before. <laughs> it's kind of a weird fit. But Romans chapter 12 and 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now before we get to those, and we'll just glance through them, as the prototype worshiper, I want to look at David. Okay? Obviously, when you talk about worship, you've got to look at him. And the early part of his life, because I felt like the Lord was showing me as I was praying about this, is the classic story of David and Goliath is the place where David learned how to worship. Now when the Lord spoke that to me, I, I couldn't figure it out. It took me about a week to get anything on that. That's all I heard. And I was like, Lord, how does David and Goliath have to do with worship? And so on and so forth. So that's one of the things I want to look at. And another just comment about David that, that really spoke to me was, and for some reason I had never seen this before, the reason that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart is because he was a man that pursued God's heart. In other words, he was a worshiper. Now, here's what I want to point out. He he was a man after God's own heart means two things. It means like saying, Jim Hill, you're a man after my heart, man. You know, in other words, I'm saying, we got a lot in common, we're we're good friends. You know, um, if it's a father and son, he might say, you're a chip off the old block. You know? In other words, what God was saying about David was, you know, Dave, you're a chip off the old block. This daddy is proud of you. You know, that's a man after God's own heart. But what's the other meaning? David was a man that pursued God's heart. He was in constant pursuit of God's heart. He would not let God alone. He got up in God's face. You know what I'm saying? Read his Psalms. He complained and griped at God more than anybody I've ever heard. Because most people aren't willing to come into church and be honest with God and complain. Isn't that true? David wasn't like that. The key to intimacy is what? Honesty. The key to intimacy is honesty. That's what David had. That's what I see in him. He wanted to know what God's heart was. What was God interested in? And go after it. Whether it meant fighting God's enemies or returning the ark to Jerusalem, David was only interested in what God was interested in. It all started with Goliath. Here was a giant blaspheming God's name. He would not stand by while someone ridiculed the name of his Creator and his God. David was a man that pursued God's heart. Now let's look at 1 Samuel Chapter 17, and obviously I'm not going to read the whole story because everybody probably knows it from Sunday school class. But I just want to look at some bits and pieces here. Now the Philistines gathered, this is in verse 1, I'm reading out of the NIV, somebody called the nearly inspired version, but I can find everything in this Bible, okay? You know what that's like. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah. They pitched camp at somewhere, between somewhere and somewhere. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Now a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Anybody nine feet tall in here? Okay, no nine footers. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger make a great Goliath. Why do you come to kill me? Nothing political about that. I just, just thought I had. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Did you catch that? How did Saul and the Israelites respond to this giant? They were terrified. They were ready to turn tail and run. And if it wouldn't have been for the whole nation watching them, they probably would have. Right? Whoa, that guy's big. Come back to fight another day. We'll take on the whole army. Just take that guy away from here. So they were really wanting to get out of there. Now, I'm just going to paraphrase here. You know, old Jesse, he had a bunch of sons. Three of them were out fighting in the army. He had this little boy, a young man, I should say. How old was David at this time? Somebody help me out, theologians. Estimate? Nobody knows. 17, a teenager. Okay, mid-teens probably. Hanging out with the sheep. Taking care of the sheep. And... His father says, "Go, David. Take some food to the to your brothers to the army." David goes over there. He hit, hears this big, ugly giant yelling, blaspheming God, and he says, "Whoa, wait a second, what's he doing?" And all the guys around him tell him what's going on, and he said, well, he kind of looks around. And I can imagine him saying, "Well, is anybody going to do anything about this?" You know, and they're like, "No, what's wrong with you?" And finally, you know the story. He decides, well. If nobody's going to do anything about about this, then I guess I will. And uh, David said to King Saul, this is verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Can you see the king looking at David like, whatever. <laughs> Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been fighting a fighting man from his youth. Now I want to encourage you guys, you young guys back there in the back. Remember the classic illustration here, okay? David was a young person. And what I'm telling you here is God taught him a lot about worship at this age, okay? Your foundations for worship are being formed right now. It's not about music. It's about a lifestyle. So really pay attention to what's going on here. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, let the Lord be with you. <laughs> you know, then Saul tried to dress him up in his armor. Didn't fit. It's too big. He said, forget that. Give me my sling, my stones. He headed out. You know the rest of the story. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have to fight. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know. The whole world will know. Including the nation of Israel, who was scared to death. That there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give all of you into our hands. That's worship. That's worship. When you know that you know that you know that the battle is the Lord's and no matter what you face in life, you know that He's with you and therefore you will be victorious. That is living a life of worship. Now turn over to Romans chapter 12. Classic worship scripture. A definition of worship. Verse 1. Okay? Therefore, Romans 12.1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. It's talking about worship right there. It's talking about worship. Now, let's look at um, number one, corporate worship. Okay? And I'm going to just do this quickly. You guys are thinking, yeah, right? <laughs> Liar. <laughs> no, I really worry. But, uh, and thank you. First Corinthians chapter 14 don't turn there. It just says real quickly in verse 26 and this goes back remember what I read at the beginning 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about you know everybody having different gifts for the body. What then shall we say brothers? When you come together everyone has a hymn. Okay, it doesn't say every, it doesn't say just a few people have a hymn. Okay? It doesn't say Andy has a hymn and nobody else does. It says everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done. Everybody say, must be done. For the strengthening of the church. Did you catch that? All of these have to be done in order for the church to be strengthened properly. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that there's a problem. I think that a lot of times as a church, and church in America, have all these things been done, Lord? Are we really worshiping or are we just following the traditions of men? Whatever that may look like. It doesn't matter your you know, order of service. We can be just as liturgical at River Life Fellowship as the Episcopal Church down the street. That's the reality of the matter. Unless we're really pursuing God's heart like King David. Going after what He has. Corporate worship. The definition. Gathering together... Jordan? Drew fell asleep on me back there. <laughs> Gathering together as a church to give praise and honor to God and to find out what is on His heart through singing, dancing, preaching, teaching, workings of miracles, so on and so forth, etc., etc. Five aspects. Number one, or letter A. True corporate worship is uninhibited by the opinions of men. Either by what people think of you personally, or by what the community thinks about you as a church. If I'm up here, Woo! you know, spinning around, I can think, man, I look stupid. Gosh, I'm white, I can't dance. You know? But it's, remember, it's not about me. It's not about what I think about myself or what you think about me. It's only about me expressing my worship to God. You know, I could do the little Doug Murdoch thing he does. Man, he's just worshiping God so hard. I love that guy because he goes after it and he doesn't care. Most of us are too scared, you know. It's like I think a lot of us would like to get it going, you know. But it's like, man. You remember David? He came back. He was dancing in the streets and actually kind of disrobed. Remember that? And it it says that his wife Michael was watching him from from the window and it says that she despised him in her heart. So I want to challenge you. Don't despise worship. Don't despise when you see somebody expressing themselves to the Lord because it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter. If their heart is before their King and their Maker, then that's a beautiful thing. Let's encourage that and encourage one another in that. In that story about David and Goliath, when David came and said he was going to fight this giant, his older brother, do you remember what he said to him? He said, you scoundrel, I know what you're up to. You're You're just a conceited, little snarling, little brat. The Bollinger interpretation there. That's what he said to him. But you know what? This was an act of worship for David. He said, my God is being blasphemed. I'm going to rise up, and because He is with me, I can take this guy. Even though I'm a puny little teenager. I can take him. And his brother said, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. You're going to shame the family. <laughs> Remember the older brother and the Good Samaritan? kind of a similar little jealousy thing going on there, older brother syndrome. Number 2. True corporate worship is unlimited by men's agendas or traditions. 1 Samuel 17, just looking back here, sorry about that. 17:38. It says then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet. He, could, you know, he couldn't walk around in it. And he goes on and he... Ch- you, know, you know the story there. We've already mentioned it. True corporate worship is unlimited by men's agendas or traditions. You see, Saul tried to make David do it his way. But it wasn't about how Saul did it. It wasn't about how the whole army out there with all his stuff was doing it. Well, weren't doing it because they were too scared with all their stuff. It was about... David heard the voice of God that said, David, I want to defeat this enemy. And David said, yeah, Lord, let's do it. Let's roll. Number three, worship in the church should be centered around what God wants to do or say rather than the people's preferences. Who watch out now? Now, I'm not going to play this clip for the sake of time, but... I had a clip from John Hobbs who was the who's speaking at this men's retreat that we're going to. And uh he said, When when you're into daddy's house, daddy can do whatever daddy wants to do. <laughs> that's a, a short phrase from his little sermon there. And it's really powerful. But what he's saying is, if you go to your parents' house, you know, as some of you parents have probably said before to your kids, it's not your house, it's my house. And while you're living in this house, you're going to do like I said. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and Bill Cosby used to tell his kids, son, I brought you into the world, I can surely take you out. So while we're in our Father's house, let's do what He wants to do. Amen? Let's not get carried away with our own agendas, our own things. That's going to just be spinning wheels. Number four, corporate worship should be open and not exclusive. Sorry. When you're learning how to do this, you've got to quickly learn how to get to the right passage within seconds. Romans 12 I've got bookmarks and still, I'm still like fumbling around up here. Okay, I know what, here's what I wanted to say. You remember that passage in Romans that we read? There should be a unity developed in the church during times of worship centered around God's heart. If we walk out of here without becoming more unified as one body, there's a problem. We haven't reached what God's goal is. True worship. Because remember, the goal of true worship is for everybody in the every person in the body to supply something headed towards the heart of God, like David. Now get this. Remember what it says do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So what do you do when you come to worship and everybody in their mother has a has a revelation or something do you stay for ten hours? Let's hope not the key to true worship is humility. The key to true worship is humility. If we're really going to get to the heart of God, we have to really, uh, everybody together, tap into what He's trying to say and fill it in and, and get there with God and go with God. And Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, this is going on. And everybody doing their part. Amen? Alright, the last characteristic of corporate worship His corporate worship is a powerful weapon of warfare. Therefore, we need to come to the battle prepared. Now you remember David. What he told King Saul. He said, King, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, killed it, all that. Powerful worship as a church on Sunday begins with intimate, individual lives of worship with God during the week. David didn't wait until he stood toe-to-toe with the giant and say, God, teach me how to fight. No. He was, he was in training. He realized that there was a greater purpose to what he was doing than just counting sheep. God had a destiny and a calling on his life and he went after that and pursued it. Now let's look real quickly at individual worship. Individual worship is daily offering yourself, your thoughts, your emotions, your actions as a living sacrifice before God. Romans twelve one, I offer my body, here I am Lord, as a living sacrifice. Five aspects. Number one, a true worshiper is Is more concerned about what matters to the Lord than what matters to him, even if it means putting himself at risk. A true worshiper, obviously David went went to a tremendous amount of risk. Right, he faced a nine-foot, ugly, bad-breath, stinking giant. (laughs) He put himself at risk, but he didn't care. Number two, a true worshipper finds out what God's will is for his life and goes after it with all his heart. Remember in Romans 12:2, it says that you need to present your bodies so that you can test and find out what the perfect will of God is. How many people want to know what God's will is for anything? Well, that's a secret. Is be a worshiper. Draw into the heart of God. In 1 Samuel 16, before the story of David and Goliath is where Jesse and his seven, had his seven sons passed before Samuel. The Lord has not chosen any of these, Samuel said. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. David realized at that moment what God's will for his life was. And again, he considered it a preparation phase. It was many, 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 many many years later until he ever became king. But at that moment, he realized, you know what? There's something going on around here. Somebody just poured some oil over my head. (laughs) Probably caused a lot of acne for the teenager at the time. Getting all that oil poured poured over his head. But he knew that there there was a purpose for his life. You know what I'm saying? And he took it seriously. You find out what God's will is for your life and go after it. Number three, a true worshiper looks around him to see what God is doing in his community, his nation, in the world, and then gets in on it. David's nation was at war. He knew that this mattered to God. If you've ever done the Bible study experiencing God, the author of that study, Henry Blackaby, is his main point, or one of his main points is that if you want to know what God's will for your life is or for any circumstance, is look around you, see what God's doing, and then get in on it. Sounds pretty simple, right? It's not simple at all if you don't know what God's will is. That's where worship comes in. When you become a true worshiper, He promises He will reveal His will to us. Number four, a true worshiper has a heart, or in other words, a concern for God's people. David's concern and care for his father's sheep later became a concern and care for his father's people. The whole nation of Israel. I really want you to hear that. Because if you really want to be a worshiper, I believe we must have a heart for God's people. God's people are precious to Him. You're one of them. not that good? The nation of Israel... Byron's been saying a lot about what's on his heart for them. The nation of Israel is precious to the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you that heart. And last, a true worshiper will value times of corporate worship with his church body and be an active part in using his gifts for the encouragement of the church. Now, this is the last thing. You guys doing okay? Hebrews chapter 10 says in verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. You hear that? Let's encourage one another. And all the more as we see that great day of the Lord approaching. That's what worship is about. Getting God's heart, coming in and giving what you have, and encouraging one another. That's true worship. Before David killed Goliath, led the nation of Israel, or brought the ark to Jerusalem, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. You remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is that what it says will happen when the Holy Spirit comes? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power. Remember what Samuel did and said to him when he was anointed? He anointed David with the oil. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So what is the secret to true worship? The secret to true worship is the power of the Holy Spirit being made manifest in our lives. When we recognize that and tap into what God really has for us, then and only then we can become a true worshiper. Then, we've got to follow His lead. Keep going after His heart. For your individual life and for the lives of our church. Now remember, guys, individual worship means, Eric Little says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. You know, the guy in Chariots of Fire. Or Larry might say, when I'm building something, I feel God's pleasure. Or whatever it is for you, that's worship. It's not just this. It's not just prophecy. It's not just healing somebody. That's all great stuff. That's all worship. But it's not just that. It's living a life and saying, God, I'm at Your service. Do with me what You will. Amen? So, let's stand up.